My name is Richard Shepard. Uh, I'm one of the two producers of the movie you are about to see, Breakfast at Tiffany's. This uh, first shot was the first shot of the film that we actually made. Uh, you're looking at a taxi coming down Fifth Avenue at about five o'clock in the morning. And we had to shoot this scene on a Sunday because uh, it was supposed to be at dawn and uh, we were later going to go inside Tiffany's. That is Tiffany's at 57th and Fifth Avenue. It was there then and it is still there now. Obviously, that is Audrey Hepburn and we'll talk a bit about her later. Uh, she is the star of the film. The music you're hearing is, of course, by Henry Mancini, and that particular piece of music is Moon River. The producing team is listed there. Juro is Martin Juro, my late partner. I'll talk about some of these actors a little bit later. Of course, Audrey is having her breakfast at Tiffany's. John MacGyver, the name you see at the top of the screen there, has a major scene in the movie. We'll talk about that later, too. As the credit says, the uh, it was really not a novel. It was a novella uh, that we acquired the rights to. Franz Planner, the cinematographer, was a brilliant, brilliant man. She's walked around the corner, that's 57th Street, and she's heading east. Edith Head and Hubert Givenchy did uh, Audrey's clothes, and almost every woman knows about Audrey's wardrobe and how it's influenced female dressing ever since. George Axelrod wrote the screenplay, and we'll talk about him a bit. Blake Edwards, the director, is, of course, extremely famous and well-known. She is now walking to where she presumably lives. That building is on, I think, 74th Street in New York City. Hey, baby, what's going on here? Of course, Mickey Rooney, who's playing uh, Mr. Yuniyoshi, the neighbor who lives upstairs, the Japanese neighbor, uh, appears in a number of scenes in the film. All were shot within, I think, two days. In 2020 hindsight, uh, I personally felt, even at the time we shot the movie back in 1960, that it was wrong to have. Mickey Rooney playing this Japanese character. 
Uh, I felt it was ethnically improper and would like to have refilmed it, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, uh, Blake wanted to use Mickey Rooney, and uh, he's in the film. It's not because he didn't play the part well, but it just seemed to me that it should have been played by a, a true, real Japanese person. I never seen them before. And when you ask for a little change for the powder room, what do I give you? A $50 bill. Now, doesn't that give me some rights? In 30 seconds, I got to call the police. All the time with disturbance. I get no sleep. I got to get to my rest. I'm an artist. I got to call the fight squad on you. Don't be angry, you dear little man. I won't do it again. You promise not to be angry. I might let you take those pictures we mentioned. Please. Sometime. Anytime. Good night. The actor, of course, that is now appearing on the screen, arriving, is George Peppard. Uh, he. Uh, this was an important film for George. Uh, he had done a number of things in New York, but uh, this was, I think, in many ways, the most important leading role that he ever had. Sorry to bother you, but uh, I couldn't get the downstairs door open. Uh, I guess they sent me the upstairs key. I couldn't get the downstairs door open. I said, I guess they sent me the uh, upstairs key. I couldn't get the downstairs door open. I'm sorry to wake you. It's quite all right. Could happen to anyone quite frequently does, couldn't it? Uh, I hate to... Uh, I hate to bother you, but if I could ask one more favor, could I use the phone? Sure. Why not? Thank you. Well, this is a nice little place you've got here. You just moved in too, huh? I've been here about a year. The phone's over there. Well, it was. Oh, I remember. I stuck it in the suitcase, kind of muffles the sound. The cat that you see here and saw in the earlier scene on Audrey's bed or Holly's bed is called Cat. Poor old cat. Uh, and uh, obviously is very important. Well, look at it. I don't have the right to give him one. To throughout the film, and since cats are very difficult to train, we had to use a number of cats uh, playing the one role. 
my memory is that we use nine different cats. Uh, hopefully that won't spoil your watching the film, but... Uh, I'm crazy about Tiffany's. Listen. You know those days when you get the mean reds? The mean reds? You mean like the blues? No. The blues are because you're getting fat or maybe it's been raining too long. You're just sad, that's all. But the mean reds are horrible. Suddenly you're afraid and you don't know what you're afraid of. Did you ever get that feeling? Sure. But when I get it, the only thing that does any good is to jump into a cab and go to Tiffany's. Calms me down right away. The quietness and the proud look of it. Nothing very bad could happen to you there. If I could find a real life place that made me feel like Tiffany's, then... Then I'd buy some furniture and give the cat a name. I'm sorry you wanted something. Oh, the telephone. It's just that I was supposed to meet somebody. I mean, this, this is 10 o'clock Thursday morning, isn't it? I just got off a plane from Rome, and I'm not too sure. Thursday? Is this Thursday? I think so. Thursday? Oh, no, it can't be! It's too gruesome! Audrey was uh, Marty Juro's and my first choice to play Holly Golightly. Strangely enough, uh, Marilyn Monroe, who was a good friend, and I had been her agent at one point, also wanted to play the part. And it was really very difficult for us and me in particular to have to tell Marilyn and her representatives that we wanted Audrey if we could get her to do it. Paramount really didn't think she would play the part because she was not the sort of actress that people perceived would get $50 to go to the powder room, but obviously uh, Audrey <laughs> showed up in the movie. You know, all the visitors make an effort to look their best. It's only fair. Actually, it's very touching, all the women wearing their prettiest things. I just love them for it. And I love the kids, too. I mean, the kids the wives bring. It should be sad seeing kids there, but it isn't. They all have ribbons in their hair and lots of shine on their shoes. You think there's going to be ice cream? Now, as I understand it, what we're doing is getting you ready to visit somebody at Sing Sing. That's right. You can always tell what kind of a person a man really thinks you are by the earrings he gives you. I must say the mind reels. May I ask whom? Whom what? Oh, who am I going to visit, you mean? I guess that's what I mean. I don't know that I should even discuss it. Oh, well, he never told me not to tell anyone. You must cross your heart and kiss your elbow. I'll try. You probably read about him. His name's Sally Tomato. Sally Tomato? Well, don't look so shocked. They could never prove for a second that he was even part of the Mafia, much less head of it, my dear. The only thing they did prove was that he cheated at his income tax a little. Anyway, all I know is that he's a darling old man. Oh, he was never my lover or anything like that. In fact, I never knew him until after he was in prison. But I adore him now. I mean, I've been going to see him every Thursday for seven months. Now I think I'd go even if he didn't pay me. Shoot! You can only find one. He pays you? That's right. Or anywhere his lawyer does. If he is a lawyer, which I doubt since he doesn't seem to have an office, only an answering service. And he always wants to meet you at Hamburger Heaven. There you are, you sneak. Thank you. Welcome. Dress. Dress. Yeah. Bag. She's running to pick up the simple black dress. I've been told for the last 40 years, every girl has a simple black dress. ...the old man and pick up 100 a week at the same time. I told him, look, darling, you've got the wrong Holly Golightly. A girl can do as well as that on trips to the powder room. 
I mean, any gentleman with the slightest cheek will give a girl a $50 bill for the powder room. And I always ask for cab fare, too. That's another 50. But then he told me his client was Sally Tomato. He said, dear old Sally had seen me at Elmer's or somewhere and had admired me a la dance. So would it be a good deed if I went to visit him once a week? Well, how could I say no? It was all so wildly romantic. How do I look? Very good. I must say I'm amazed. You were darling. I think that hat is still in style. Jack? Call me anytime. I'm just upstairs. Or I will be as soon as I get moved in. Right, Jack. You mean he gives you $100 for an hour's conversation? Well, Mr. O'Shaughnessy does as soon as I meet him and give him the weather report. Look, it's none of my business, but it sounds to me like you could get in a lot of trouble. Hold this for me, will you? And what do you mean, weather report? Oh, that's just a message I give Mr. O'Shaughnessy. So he'll know I've really been up there. Sally tells me things to say like, uh... Oh, there's a hurricane in Cuba, and it's cloudy over Palermo. Things like that. You don't have to worry. I've taken care of myself for a long time. George Peppard's character in the screenplay by George Axelrod is rather different than the character in the novella Breakfast at Tiffany's by Capote. Uh, he's a much more uh, virile uh, man in this screenplay. Uh, the character in the novella was very, very different. I know it. This is, of course, Patricia Neal, a, you know, celebrated I'm actress in her own right. Oh, darling. I'm so sorry. Oh. No, I got the key all right. Miss Golightly, my neighbor, was kind enough to let me in. Miss Golightly's on her way to Sing Sing. Oh. Just visiting, of course. Miss Golightly? Mrs. Phelanson, my decorator. Well... Patricia Neal, by the way, uh, was in a number of films before Tiffany's. Uh, she uh, obviously uh, also appeared on Broadway in a number of plays. Uh, she had been in a movie uh, called HUD, directed by Martin Ritt, who had been a client. But uh, Blake knew her work extremely well. I can't recall, but I believe that uh, she was always our first choice to play the character in the film. Uh, I also knew Tricia Neal because at the time she was married to Ruel Dahl, uh, who obviously was a very famous author of children's books, not the least of which was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, etc. Uh, Miss Go Right Me. Over the car. Hey, baby, where you going? Oh, come on, baby, open the door. The whole sequence, uh, by the way, uh, of um, appears on the balcony of the apartment building that uh, Holly lives in. Uh, was shot actually on a soundstage at Paramount. wasn't shot uh, in New York. I mean, the exteriors uh, going into the building and coming out were shot in New York, but not uh, not the interior or the sequences on the balconies. Uh, which, of course, are very important. You'll see later, that's where Audrey sings Moon River. What's the matter, baby? 
The sequence coming up with uh, George Pappard and Audrey talking about her family and her brother uh, is extremely important to the character of Holly Golightly, in my opinion, and uh, um, is probably the principal reason why Marty and Blake Edwards and I all felt that Marilyn Monroe is gifted an actress and as famous as she was would not be as suited to the role of Holly Golightly as Audrey Hepburn. I'm not sure that what I'm about to say is correct, but I think we went out of our way to decorate uh, George Pippard's apartment, presumably done by Patricia Neal's character, in the most outrageously over-the-top decorative fashion, but uh, looking at it and you know, many years later, I still think it's pretty awful. It's all right. It's only me. Uh, no, wait a minute, Miss... Uh... Golightly. Holly Golightly. I live downstairs. We met this morning, remember? Yeah. It's all right. She's gone. I must say, she works late hours for a decorator. The thing is, I have the most terrifying man downstairs. I mean, he's sweet when he isn't drunk, but... Let him start lapping up the vino, and oh, golly, Kel Beast. Finally got so tiresome down there, just went out the window. I think I want to re-emphasize that uh, Holly Golightly, played by Audrey Hepburn, a lot of people didn't think, you know, she was the right casting to play a girl that, as I said earlier, got $50 to go to the powder room. But uh, what she tells the audience and George Pippard's character about her relationship with her brother and family is very, very different from the so-called typical call girl. She's sensitive and uh, touching, uh, and we all felt that she was the right actress for the part. She's from Tulip, Texas, but, uh, you know, she's a... Uh, she's very sweet underneath the surface. Pretty much... Uh, you know, I mean, the character of uh, Holly Golightly from Tulip, Texas, uh, you know, was the, the way she was written. Uh, and that's why I think, even though she gets the $50 to go to the powder room, uh, that was sur surface behavior. That's not really the character that, that Truman wrote or the character that I think is consistently uh, examined throughout this movie. I mean, subtextually, but uh, nonetheless... It's important that you, in my mind at least, that she is as feelingful as she is and sensitive. You must be absolutely exhausted. I mean, it is very late and uh, you were sound asleep and everything. I suppose you think I'm very brazen or très fou or something. I don't think you're any fooler than anybody else. Yes, you do. Everybody does. And I don't mind. It's useful being top banana in the shock department. What do you do, anyway? I'm a writer, I guess. You guess, don't you know? Okay. Positive statement. Ringing affirmative. I'm a writer. The only writer I've ever been out with is Benny Shacklett. He's written an awful lot of television stuff, but Kel Rat. Tell me, are you a real writer? I mean, does anybody buy what you write or publish it or anything? They bought what's in that box. Yours? Mm-hmm. All these books? 
No, it's just the one book. Twelve copies of it. Nine Lives by Paul Barjack. They're stories. Mm-hmm. I think it's important throughout the film that you feel that uh, the relationship between Audrey's character and George Papard's character is just in the, you know, has to evolve. I mean, obviously, uh, 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 their relationship is extremely uh, sensitive in one respect, and on the surface, uh, they're very different. Uh, but without spoiling the structure of the of the, the script and the movie, it's very important that you see how they react to each other and ultimately come together. Question, but what have you written lately? Lately, I've been working on a novel. Lately, since 1956? Well, a novel takes a long time. I want to get it exactly right. So no more stories? Well, the idea is I'm supposed to not fritter my talent away on little things. I'm supposed to be saving it for the big one. Tell me, do you write every day? Sure. Today? Sure. It's a beautiful typewriter. Of course. It writes nothing but sensitive, intensely felt, promising prose. But there's no ribbon in it. Now, that's a line that you couldn't use today. <laughs> Typewriters and ribbons. You would be writing on a word processor, I would think. Or longhand. You know, something you said this morning's been bothering me all day. What's that? Do they really give you $50 whenever you go to the powder room? Of course. You must do very well. I'm trying to save, but I'm not very good at it. This is very important. I don't know another actress around that could play this scene as well as Audrey Hepburn played it. You know, you do look a lot like my brother Fred. I haven't seen him, of course, since I was 14. That's when I left home. And he was already six foot two. I guess it must have been the peanut butter that did it. Everybody thought he was dotty the way he gorged himself on peanut butter. He wasn't dotty. Just sweet and vague and terribly slow. Poor Fred. He's in the army now. That's really the best place for him until I can get enough money saved. And then? And then Fred and I... I went to Mexico once. It's a wonderful place for raising horses. I saw one place near the sea that... Fred's very good with horses. But even land in Mexico costs something. And no matter what I do, there never seems to be more than a couple of hundred dollars in the back. It can't be 4.30. You just can't. mind if I just get in with you for a minute? It's all right. Really, it is. We're friends, that's all. We are friends, aren't we? By the way, I, I, I think one of the things that is very different today is that this would not be considered kind of a risque scene. At the time we shot it, it might have been considered to some degree risque, but what it personally bothers me about it is the fact that throughout this movie, everybody smokes. We wouldn't do that today. <laughs> Thank you. 
Why are you crying? If we're going to be friends, let's just get one thing straight right now. I hate snoops. I suppose I also should mention uh, now, although it's throughout the film, that if you notice that underneath that scene, a very emotional scene, uh, Mancini is playing uh, Moon River. And uh, Moon River not only won the Academy Award and the score won the Academy Award, but it really, his and Johnny Mercer's lyrics uh, were, in at least my view and my late partner's view, endemic to the film. Uh, strangely enough, even though the film was a big hit, but before we it was in the theaters, we had a preview in San Francisco when, after the preview, the head of production at Paramount, a man named Martin Racken, yeah. said the film is terrific, but you've got to get rid of that song. And both Marty and I said, over our dead bodies. Uh, he wanted us to use a piece of music by somebody like Gordon Jenkins, who had done a lot of very famous music for Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra and then had an album out called Manhattan Towers, but it really wasn't the kind of music uh, that we felt was uh, to be identified with, you know, a sensitive young woman from Tulip, Texas. And uh, so thank goodness for everybody. Uh, we've prevailed, and Moon River not only stayed in the movie, but has been, you know, one of the most successful pieces of music in movies over the last century. This party scene that is coming up, that is Martin Balsam, who is extremely important, even though he's got a great big part in this film. He was an early and I think probably first choice of Blake Edwards, but uh, we knew Marty pretty well. I'd been involved putting a picture together called 12 Angry Men because I looked after as an agent, Henry Fonda, and Marty Balsam was in 12 Angry Men and played the juror, but his role in this film is rather different than that film, but he's, we were fans of Marty's from the get-go. I'll be right back, Irving, baby. Everybody smokes in this scene, you will see. Yeah. Oh, kids still in the shower. You expected? I was invited. Is that what you mean? Come on, now, don't get yourself all tense and soft, huh? Come on in. It's a party. There's a lot of characters coming around here that are not expected. Now, I'll buy a drink. You drink? Yeah. I'll buy a drink. Okay. Yeah. Hey, honey, you're a set split, then. What do you drink, kid? Bourbon. Everybody in this party scene you know, was was specifically uh, picked by Blake Edwards. They were either actors or actresses that we knew or he knew or were friends. Not very, I live upstairs. You're kidding. Oh, look at this place, will you? What a place, it's unbelievable. What a thump. Hmm? Huh. What do you think? About what? Is she or isn't she? Wait a minute, hold it. Blake wanted to use uh, actors or actresses in this scene that he'd worked with before, or even though they're, you know, very small parts or have no speaking lines. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, because he had a great eye for the kind of actors to use, uh, he picked people for this scene, which is, a lot of it is, is I won't say extemporaneous, but uh, uh, it took us several days for him to film this scene, but a, a lot of it, while I think in part rehearsed, a lot of things just came out uh, the way he knew they would happen in spite of the rehearsals. Okay, but just remember, I'm the agent. She's already got a decorator. I'm the agent. Hold it, hold it. All right, uh, boys, come on in there. Right in the kitchen, you find everything you need. So, listen, Fred, baby. What do you no, think? it's Paul, baby. Oh, it is? Yeah. I thought it was Fred, baby. No. Well, answer the question, though. Is she or isn't she? Is she or isn't she what? <clears throat> a pony. I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think so, huh? The dialogue in, in the party scene is my memory was written, uh, you know, the way it appears here. But the performances, once again, are the choices of Marty Balsam and George Peppard and obviously guided by Blake. But uh, in terms of the dialogue in the party scene, it was, my memory is that it was pretty much written the way it's played. But most of it is visual, as you will see. A couple of years ago, back in the coast, huh? she was just a kid. Of course, she had a lot of style, a lot of class, you know. A lot of what? Class, yeah, so she had a lot of class. But, uh, of course, when she opened her mouth, you don't know what she... The man in the background happens to be Nicky Blair, who owned a restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh, not considered basically an actor, although he had, been, he had acted in movies, but he was a good friend of Blake's and Marty Jarrow's and mine. Well, the night before the screen test... Well, I could have killed myself. Right before the screen test, uh, the phone rings. I pick it up. I said, O.J. speaking. She says, this is Holly. I said, Holly, Holly, you sound so far away, honey. What's with you? She says, I'm in New York. I said, what kind of New York? You got a screen test tomorrow. She says, I'm in New York because I've never been in New York before. I said, get yourself on the plane. Get back here. She says, I don't want it. I said, what do you mean you don't want it? What do you want? She says, I don't want it. I said, what do you want? She says, when I find out what I want, I'm going to let you know. Bang. So look, Fred, baby, you know, don't tell this me. This is Paul, baby. Paul, baby, sure. Yeah. I mean, don't tell me that she isn't a phony. You know what I mean? Irving, funny Irving, where you been? And here's Cat, who's now this cat is obviously trained to do what we're about to see. You know, I don't really remember the names of most of the actors in these scenes, and I would like to be able to tell the audience, but I just don't remember, uh, you know, who they are. Miriam Nelson is one of the actors in in one of the scenes. I'll point her out, to, but uh, I just don't recall. Do you have a dime, darling? What? Dime? Oh, yeah. uh, do you have a watch? No, I don't. Oh, let me see. Now, this was all, you know, basically staged, this scene and the fire and the smoking was staged by Blake, but how it actually played out, you know, was really a lot to do with, you know, the actors and choices that were made on the set, or at least that's my recollection of it. Some party. Who are all these people, anyhow? Who knows? The word gets out. You don't mind, do you, darling? Yeah. Reinforcements. Oh, 
sure you know that all the music in, in the film was written by Henry Mancini, uh, not just the Moon River uh, score. The man who just came in, Villalonga, you know, is a character that is supposed to be extremely wealthy from South America. Uh, I don't remember how we ended up casting him, but I do recall that he is exactly the kind of character in real life as he plays on the screen. He comes from an elegant, wealthy family. This character is very important to the script, and I just don't remember how we hired him, but he's perfect for the part, or at least when I say we, Blake. Hmm? Rusty Drawler. He happens to be the ninth richest man in America under 50. Now that indeed is a remarkable piece of information to have at your fingertips. I keep track of these things. Excuse me, you owe me 40 oh, cents. Uh, will you die? Oh, you're so romantic. <laughs> Mac, darling, what are you doing here? Honey, I was upstairs working with Yoshi. Easter stuff for the. Mag Wildwood uh, was cast because she was very tall, and uh, the character's name is Mag Wildwood, and uh, what's about to happen, you know, just every actress couldn't do what she does. He's from Brazil, Miss Golightly. Very kind of you, Miss Golightly, to allow me to attend your party. I'm so interested in North American culture. I've been already, of course, to the this actor reminds me of a very famous uh, actor all going all the way back to silent films called Rudolph Valentino. North American poem. Mm, it just nailed in your mouth. And it's Mr. Rusty Trawler, Mr. Colato. <laughs> You're not vexed at me for bringing them. Of course not, darling. Nah. Who's gonna bring me of a bourbon? O.J. Yeah. Would you get Miss Wildwood a drink? Yeah, which one's Miss Wildwood? Mr. Burma. We have the wardrobe uh, uh, in, in the party scene. Uh, it's my memory is some of the uh, outfits were just the actor's normal clothes, but Mag Wildwood's character, obviously Audrey's character, some of the actresses, you know, uh, Edith had uh, either had the clothes shopped or they were available in design. And as I said at the outset, I mean, obviously, Mr. Yunioshi is an important character, but uh, it would have been better if it had been a real Japanese actor, in my opinion. And this music you're going to hear again uh, in a very, very important scene a little later in the film. My memory is that this scene with this woman laughing, and then later you're going to see what happens. Uh, Blake thought of the day they shot it. Yes. Miss Golightly, this time I'm warning you. 
I am definitely this time going to call in the police. has absolutely nothing to do with Breakfast at Tiffany's, but I'm reminded every time I see the scene of uh, Mickey Rooney's character, you know, calling the police, I, I know a true story about Dean Martin, who when he and his wife, Jeannie Martin, used to have parties, uh, Dean would go upstairs and call the police and say he was a neighbor to come and get the party over with, because <laughs> he liked to get up early in the morning. Think I'd find a bull mine miles after a piece of cheap Hollywood trap. My darling, you're being a bull. Shut up! You. You know what's gonna happen to you? I am gonna march you over to the zoo and feed you to the yak. As soon as I finish this trip. I suppose any actress could do that, but I don't think they would do it any better than that was just done. Obviously, the party scene, uh, which is about finished now, uh, only takes four or five minutes in the film, but it took a number of days to shoot it. Uh, obviously, uh, I don't recall exactly, but it was probably a week, uh, and to get the actors up to speed every day uh, is something that uh, Blake could do, and there haven't been a lot of party scenes in movies that I think are as unique as this one. Sing Sing. Sally helps me with my accounts. Sally Tomato was our version of The Sopranos. Forty years later. I told you. I just can't seem to. He makes me write down everything in there. What I get, what I spend. I used to have a checking account. He made me get rid of that. He feels, for me anyway, that it's better to operate on a cash basis, tax-wise. Someday, Mr. Friend, you take this book, turn it into a novel, 
Everything is there. Just fill in a little of the details. Certainly would be good for some laughs. No. No, I don't think so. This is a book would break the heart. Mr. Fitzsimmons, powder room, $50. Less eight. As I suspect, uh, the audience knows Sing Sing, which is a strange name, is the name of the prison north of New York City. Uh, how it got its name, I don't know. But uh, it's, uh, it's the name of it. I guess, of course, I don't really know anybody but rats. Except, of course, Fred here. You do think Fred is nice, don't you, Sally? For you, I hope he is. Once again, I just need to remind the audience that the reference to Fred, who was, of course, Holly's brother, is really the way she feels about him and the way she feels about her life and her future. That's the underlying, almost bloodstream of what Holly Golightly is about. And uh, I think it makes her character much more important than just a female lead in a comedy. Snowflower is expected this weekend in New Orleans. Isn't that just the weirdest? I bet they haven't had snow in New Orleans for a million years. I don't know how he thinks them up. I'm sure there are authors and screenwriters that still use, and novelists of any kind that still use typewriters, but the idea of seeing somebody using a typewriter today uh, seems very, very dated. Now, this is the most important moment for Moon River in the movie. is Audrey's voice. There was a lot of discussion about whether she should actually sing Moon River as opposed to getting, you know, a, a, a real singer uh, to uh, do the lyrics, sing the lyrics. Uh, Marnie Nixon was certainly discussed, and Marnie Nixon is a singer-actress who did a lot of, of the voice of Audrey when she later played in My Fair Lady, but Every word of this has been sung by Audrey and not by any other singer. And I think it's endemic of her performance and very, very important that it was her voice. When we first knew that this scene was going to require Audrey to sing, my memory is that there was discussion about her singing and whether she could or not. I don't recall whether or not she said, I feel I can do it, but uh, you know, uh, I just know that we never stopped for one moment. Blake said, I want her to sing it, and I think she can. And I, I don't frankly remember whether she had any... I mean, Audrey had appeared in the theater, and obviously in other movies. Roman Holiday was her first movie for Paramount, but uh, I think this is the first time she sang, and as you could tell from her voice, it's not a voice that you need to go out and buy recordings of, but... Uh, her voice for that song at that time, I think, is proper. That, of course, is Buddy Epson. See? 
I noticed him yesterday afternoon. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to sound neurotic, but when he's there again today. Who do you think he is? Well, it could be anybody, of course, but what crossed my mind was, suppose Bill's having us watched, huh? Okay. I'll take care of this. No. No, don't, please. Look, if that's what it is, you'll only make everything worse. I'll be careful. You wait here. Darling, please don't. I don't think you should. Now, take it easy. I just want to find out what this is all about. Now, of course, that shot uh, was in New York, as were the other entrances and exits. And the sequence that follows is all done in New York City, but uh, most of the film, of course, was shot in Hollywood at Paramount, but not the scene that we're now watching and that is coming up. This is Central Park. New Yorkers would certainly recognize. I need a friend. I think perhaps some people would wonder how uh, we could shoot a scene like this in Central Park without seeing a lot of people. I can only say that we were, like all films that shoot in New York, very much indebted to the police department. You're Holly's father? Her name ain't Holly. She was Lula Mae Barnes. Was till she married me. I'm her husband, Doc O'Lightly. Paul Varjak. I'm a horse doctor, animal man. Do some farming too near Tulip, Texas. Of course, we picked Buddy Epson because there are hardly anybody that I can think of based on the work he'd done that was uh, uh, more suited to play a hillbilly or somebody from Tulip, Texas, but uh, I personally didn't know him. My guess is that Marvin Page or Blake, Marvin Page was our casting director, sent the script to him, but he was perfect for it, and my memory of him was that he was a joy to work with. When I married Lula May, she was going on 14. Now, you might think the average person going on 14 wouldn't know their own mind, but you take Lula May. She was an exceptional person. 
the whole scene with the Cracker Jacks uh, is extremely important to the film, and it was, of course, written by George Axelrod. I don't recall it being in the, in the novella, but it is very important to uh, what happens in the remaining half of the film. He grew up into a giant. It's a sight different from the way they come to us. A couple of wild youngins, they was. Once again, you're hearing Moon River, because that's what this relationship is about. Uh, maybe I'm just old and senile, but I get teary-eyed when I listen to it. Never had none leave mine. What about her brother? Didn't he leave too? No, sir. We had Fred with us till he took him in the army. That's when I come to talk to her about. I had a letter from him. He's getting out of the army in February. You notice that he's opening the, the Cracker Jack box toy, and it's a ring. In the places with her husband, her children, and her brother. Huh? Surprise, McCracker Jack. You want it? Uh-uh. Never could understand why that woman run off. Don't tell me she wasn't happy. Talk as a jaybird, she was. There's something smart to say on every subject. Better than the radio. And I proposed, I cried like a baby. She said, what do you want to cry for, Doc? Of course we'll be married. I've never been married before. <laughs> I had to laugh and hug and squeeze it. Never been married before. As I mentioned earlier, most of the picture was shot in Los Angeles at Paramount in Hollywood. We shot uh, the scenes in New York. My memory is for about 10 days, maybe even a little less, uh, the entrance and exits to the, you know, to the apartment, this sequence, and... Uh, the exterior of Tiffany's and a scene that's coming up shortly, which I'll point out to you. Yeah, sure, Doc. That's what you want. Come on. I'm not sure the hat that Audrey's wearing now is in lady's wardrobe today, but it certainly was right for her. I'm just on my way out. I was supposed to be at 21 half an hour ago. Maybe we can have a drink or something tomorrow, huh? Sure, Lula May. If you're still here tomorrow. I would think almost all of Audrey's clothes were done by Givenchy. I don't remember. I met Givenchy in Paris subsequently, and, uh, you know, I know how important a designer he was. And, but, uh, you know, I, I would not be able to tell you which outfits, if any, Edith Head did, as opposed to Givenchy. But I think certainly the evening dresses were designed by uh, uh, Givenchy. Honey, don't they feed you up here? You're so skinny. Moon River again, you can hear it. Kingdom come. <laughs> We got a lot of use out of that stairway going into that apartment. <laughs> we picked Patricia Neal, by the way, simply because we thought she had, you know, strength and 
could also be, uh, you know, dominant and or domineering and was the right kind of woman to be elegant in a bossy sort of way, which was the nature of her supporting uh, George Pippard's character. I must say, knowing Pat as well as I personally do, I, I think the way she we had her decorating his apartment was beyond insulting, <laughs> but that was the whole point. I want you to come to the bus station with us, Doc and me. What? He still thinks I'm going back with him. I need support. I don't think I can play the scene alone. Holly, what can I do? He's your husband. No, he's not. He's not? It was annulled ages ago, but he just won't accept it. Please, Fred, I'll tell him you're coming to see us off. Don't say anything. Just meet us out front in about an hour, please. Now, this whole sequence in the bus station and what follows uh, is not shot in New York. It was shot in the back lot at Paramount, but, uh, you know, it's just what you did in those days. Please, Fred, don't leave me. Attention, please. Leaving from Black Cross 5, to Philadelphia, Columbus, Indianapolis, Morning to me, that's us. Doc, I'm not coming with you. Come on. Let's walk together quietly and I'll try and help you understand. Help me talk to him, Fred. That's all right, son. I appreciate you want to help, but it's between Lula May and me. Sure, Doc. I love you, Lula May. I know you do, and that's just the trouble. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. You were always lugging home wild things. Once it was a hawk with a broken wing, and another time it was a full-grown wildcat with a broken leg. Remember? Little me, there's something... You mustn't give your heart to a wild thing. The more you do, the stronger they get, until they're strong enough to run into the woods or fly into a tree. And then of course, you notice that Audrey's got a slightly Texas Southern accent. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, that was something that Blake asked her to do or she decided to do on her own, but for my... Inexperienced ear about Texas accents, I think uh, it's pretty good. February? Well, it's only four months. So you see, you've got to come back with me, Lula May. Your place is with me and your children and your brother. Doc, you've got to understand I can't come back. And you've got to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Buddy Epson certainly has blue eyes. If you don't come back with me, I'm going to have to write young Fred and tell him that unless he wants to look out for himself, he better sign up for another hitch. Doc, don't you do that. Don't you write that to him. I'll write to him myself and tell him I want him here with me. I'll take care of him, don't you worry. You're talking crazy, Lula May. Doc, stop calling me that. I'm not Lula May anymore. But of course she is Lula May. That's what it's all about. All right, Lula May. I guess you know what you're doing. Keep an eye on her, will you, son? At least see she eats something once. I've been asked, uh, you know, on occasion whether or not this sort of very sensitive, romantic uh, sort of material uh, is uh, easy for Blake as a director. I don't know. I think Blake could direct anything he chooses to do, even uh, even now. Uh, of course, he did a lot of different kinds of films, mostly comedies, uh, before and even television series. Matter of fact, Henry Mancini uh, came to us uh, having done several things uh, 
or came to Blake and to us, uh, having done several things for Blake, including Peter Gunn, which was a television series. But uh, I think Blake has done dramas, and I don't think... Uh, I mean, he was really the right casting for this film. Uh, I should mention that uh, he was not the initial director that uh, Marty Juro and I had involved. And while the initial director of the film ended up not doing it, and we brought in Blake early on when George Axelrod was reworking the screenplay, the director who had initially been cast to develop the screen process of Tiffany's was a, a good friend and a terrific director, God rest him, but certainly not right for this, was John Frankenheimer. And we replaced John early on, and I don't remember whether it was... Well, it certainly wasn't pleasant for us because we liked John, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't think this movie would have been anything like the movie that is now of record had John Frankenheimer directed it. Uh, obviously, lots of films of Frankenheimer's are very famous and wonderfully done, but they're too dark for, I think, what this was about. The next best thing is a drink. Yes, I very much need a drink. All of this, of course, was shot in the studio. Only promise me one thing. Don't take me home until I'm drunk. Until I'm very drunk indeed. This scene, which was obviously uh, with a stripper, uh, today this scene would be much more uh, revealing than <laughs> it was in 1960, but uh, we were warned to be very careful not to do anything that would cause the film to get an R rating. Everybody's smoking. You'd think we were working for R.J. Reynolds. Deeply and importantly talented. No. Amusingly and superficially talented, yes, but deeply and importantly, no. If I had her money, I'd be richer than she is. Where do you figure that? Because I keep the candy store. Hmm? Old Sally Tomato, that's my candy store. I'd always keep Sally. And that's why I'd be richer than she is. <laughs> mm -hmm. We'd better get a little more air. Tom, Dick, and Sid. Harry was his friend. <laughs> anyway, every Tom, Dick, and Sid thinks, thinks that if he takes a girl to dinner, <laughs> she'll just curl up like a kitten in a little furry ball at his feet. Right? Uh, hmm. I have, by actual count, been taken to dinner by 26 different rats in the last two months. 27 if you count Benny Shackley, who's in many ways a super rat. I think I forgot my key. Never mind, I just buzzed Junioshi. Oh. 
Do you want to know something funny? Mm hmm In spite of the fact that most of these rats fork up $50 for the powder room like little dolls, I find I have again by actual count $9 less in the old bank account than I had six months ago. So, my darling Fred, I have tonight made a very serious decision. And what is that? No longer will I play the field. Congratulations. The field stinks, both economically and socially. And I'm giving it up. What? Miss Kulani, this time I'm not only going to please but the fire department and the New York State Housing Commission, and if necessary, the Board of Health. Quiet up there. You want to wake the whole house? As Miss Kulani was saying before she was rudely interrupted, the production design of this apartment, of course, uh, and the building itself was important because so much of the film takes place not only in her apartment and the way it is decorated. Uh, it's not, you know, with no furniture, etc., and the way his apartment is overdone because it was designed by Patricia Neal, then Yunioshi's apartment, <clears throat> the uh, production designer, art director... He really knew what he was doing, and I think, uh, you know, subliminally, it adds to the reality of the film. Man in America under 50? Ah, do I detect a look of disapproval in your eye? Tough beans, buddy, because that's the way it's going to be. I can't. Holly, you're drunk. Absolutely true. Truly what a rebel. I don't know why you don't understand. I need money. I'll do whatever I have to do to get it. So, this time next month, I'll be the new Mrs. Rusty Trawler. And I think we should have a little drink to that. It's all gone. Isn't that too bad? Got any whiskey upstairs? But you've had enough. Go ahead, get I probably should mention, you know, the difference between the way uh, George Peppard worked on this film as an actor and the way uh, Audrey Hepburn uh, and even uh, Patricia Neal work, although both George Peppard and Patricia Neal, you know, came out of New York acting in the theater. George was a method actor, uh, you know, working with Strasberg and... Uh, in the studio. Also, Patricia Neal had that background. That's not the way uh, Audrey works or worked. Uh, my memory is that, uh, uh, and I don't want to say anything that would be hurtful to Audrey's memory, but she found in working with George that he was a little too intense. And uh, I'm not talking about in, in his performance, but, you know, was, was somewhat more difficult to work with than, you know... Uh, I think Audrey would have preferred. George was an intense young man, and uh, it 
it, it certainly works for his performance, but I don't think that they were, you know, really close off uh, the camera, and uh, that may have had to do with the way George approaches parts, or did approach this part. If we'd had to change the song, we'd have had to have to change George whistling to something else. about the other night when I saw the paper and well actually I'm kind of embarrassed about it but since it concerns you I thought I'd talk to you about it in person what what mm -hmm. oh, the earplugs I can't go through the whole thing again it's sufficient to say I've come to make up and as an added inducement, I have all kinds of news. I've had some women who've seen the film say, you know, that uh, they didn't feel that, uh, you know, they would all have put all this makeup on uh, to look like they were asleep. But then I guess that, that's acceptable in movies. Her, her eye makeup's a little good for just getting out of bed. Have you seen the paper? Mm. Rusty, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, I know all about it. Suddenly had him. Pegged wrong, didn't I? I thought he was just... I can say, having worked with a lot of different actresses over my life as a producer, as a studio head, and as an agent, there just is was never, ever an actress as professional and as joyful to work with and as kind and as prepared as Audrey Hepburn. She was, in my view, not only a giving, loving, wonderful human being, but a tribute to the motion picture industry and to life itself. I made another movie with her with Sean Connery and called Robin and Marion when she was a lot older, but uh, once again, just totally, totally professional. The queen of the pig people. I'll tell you one thing, Fred, darling. I'd marry you for your money in a minute. Would you marry me for my money? In a minute. So I guess it's pretty lucky neither of us is rich, huh? Yeah. Oh, Fred, darling, I'm so glad to see you. As I said earlier, uh, we uh, always were concerned that maybe Audrey wouldn't play the part because she was not considered, you know, a woman who would get $50 to go to the powder room. I guess most guys would have given her $50,000 to go to a powder room, but... <laughs> Uh, she wanted to play the part. I remember her agent at the time was a man named Kurt Frings who said, I don't think she'll play it, but uh, we sent her the script, and she said yes. Paramount had a contract with her that uh, uh, they, they couldn't force her to make a movie because we were even past that, but uh, uh, she owed the studio a picture. They just didn't think she would do it, but uh, the good Lord let us have her. With breakfast on several occasions. But never before, before. Now, I've got a wonderful idea. 
We could spend the whole day doing things we've never done before. We'll take turns. For something you've never done, then me. Of course, I can't really think of anything I've never done. sequence coming up which was shot part in New York and obviously in part in the studio is I think in some ways uh, memorable of uh, not only the film but Blake's ability to take what's on the printed page in the script and give it some more dimension and style you'll see it when it comes up interestingly enough and I suppose this before we start this sequence uh, now obviously we we shot this scene in New York and now, this scene, we shot the first day of the movie. This was shot the same day as the scene when she's outside, that same Sunday morning. And this wide-angle shot of Tiffany's was, uh, this is actually the interior of Tiffany's. That has all been lit, and those are all actors in there because it was on a Sunday. And to get that shot, Franz Planner had to spend about five hours. Today, it wouldn't be difficult. What now happens in close-up was not shot at the, at the store, but was shot uh, in, uh, in uh, this shot was shot in New York, but now when we get to this scene coming up, then when we cut back, this was shot in the studio from here on. Well, you're right. But in the meantime, you should have something. I'll wait. No, I'm gonna buy you a present. You bought me one, a typewriter ribbon, and it brought me luck. Right, but Tiffany's gonna be pretty expensive. I've got my check and $10. Oh, I wouldn't let you cash a check. But a present for $10 or under, that I'll accept. Of course, I don't exactly know what we're gonna find at Tiffany's for $10. May I help you? Perhaps. This is John McIver, and even though it's the only scene in the picture that he's in, he's incredible in the scene, I think. Well, we had considered diamonds. Now, I don't want to offend you, but the lady feels that diamonds are tacky for her. Oh, I think they're divine on older women, but I don't think they'd be right for me. You do understand. Certainly. In all fairness, I think I ought to explain uh, there is also a secondary problem, one of finance. We can only afford to spend a limited amount. We, we couldn't shoot this scene in Tiffany's because it's all dialogue and it, uh, we would have had to shoot it the following Sunday. Do you have anything for $10? Well, frankly, madam, within that price range, the variety of merchandise is rather limited. However, I do think we might have, let me see, strictly as a novelty, you understand, for the lady and gentleman who has everything, a sterling silver telephone dialer at 675 including tax sterling silver telephone dialer yes at 675 including federal tax well the price i suspect right. today even a telephone dialer would cost more than 675 including tax how shall i say it uh, romantic in feeling what do you think as sterling silver telephone dialers go i certainly think it's handsome but uh, you do understand well we tried but i guess we could have something engraved, couldn't we? Yes, I suppose so. Yes, indeed. The only problem is you would more or less have to buy something first, if only in order to have some object upon which to place the engraving. You see the difficulty? Well, uh, 
We could have this engraved, couldn't we? I think it would be very smart. This, I take it, was not purchased at Tiffany's? No. Actually, it was purchased concurrent with, uh, well, actually, came inside of... They, they were terrific, and the woman whose name I forget, who was the public relations director for Tiffany's, went on to become Jacqueline Kennedy's uh, public relations person, and she was just terrific. Tiffany's was really, really cooperative. Didn't hurt them either. Almost of continuity with the past, that sort of thing. Do you think Tiffany's would really engrave it for us? I mean, you don't think they would feel it was beneath them or anything like that? Well, it is rather unusual, madam. But I think you'll find that Tiffany's is very understanding. If you will tell me what initials you would like, I think we could have something ready for you in the morning. Didn't I tell you this was a lovely place? That's what the public this, library across the street. You wanted to sit down. It's the public library. You've never been here? No. That makes sense. And this, of course, was shot in Hollywood. Each one of these little drawers is stuffed with little cards. And each little card is a book. This sequence, uh, of course, uh, copies pretty much what the that particular floor or area of the New York Public Library looks like. I, I I know that you get books through those, or did in those days, get the books out of this file, but, and I think it's still probably the same. Lives. And then a lot of numbers. You think they really have the book itself? Live? Follow me. Nine Lives by Varjack Paul. Did you ever read it? It's absolutely marvelous. No, I'm afraid I haven't. Well, you should. He wrote it. He's Varjack Paul in person. The lady playing the librarian was an actress, but also a real estate agent, and I had just bought a house in Los Angeles, and she'd been very helpful, and Blake knew her, and so we gave her the part. your voice, miss. Why don't you autograph it to them? Think think it'd be nice? Sort of make it more personal? Really, miss? Go ahead. Don't be so stuck up. Autograph it to them. All right. What shall I say? Something sentimental, I think. What are you doing? Stop that! Shh. You're defacing public property. Well, all right, if that's the way you feel. Come on, Fred, darling. Let's get out of here. I don't think this place is half as nice as Tiffany's. Now, this sequence, of course, is uh, done in Los Angeles or in Hollywood, but it kind of, once again, is the same tempo of the party scene. I used to. I still do every now and then, sort of to keep my hand in. Come on, don't be chicken. Anyway, you've never done it, and it's your turn. Mm. 
I'm kind of surprised even in hindsight we didn't have a problem with the motion picture code because they're going to steal something. When I said what I just said about the motion picture code, uh, you know, they were concerned about uh, things that might cause people to behave in a bad way, and uh, shoplifting is not something that you want to endorse. I don't know whether or not there was a problem. I don't remember us having one. What I think is really so special about the sequence is, again, not only what they're doing as actors, but the way the music enhances it. And that's, once again, a tribute to Henry Mancini. There's a score that Mancini did, I think, for a John Wayne movie called Hatari that is very similar to the music in, in this scene. It's not the same music, but it's got the same kind of tempo. This whole sequence, of course, was not written exactly this way in the script, so this is once again something that Blake worked out with the actors. Of course, the masks were, I think, the idea because of what happens later, but um, this is really a, this is where a director like Blake Edwards really gets his credit. Once again, we're in New York. <laughs> the purse that Audrey's carrying, I must have seen a thousand of those purses after the movie. been asked whether or not uh, you could get uh, replicas of Audrey's clothes, and I, I presume that, uh, you know, Givenchy and stores would work out arrangements with uh, the designers to have the clothes, but I don't know the answer exactly. I just know that, obviously, she was, you know, an actress that really helped set style because of Givenchy, and to some degree, Edith Head, who was the principal designer of not only the Paramount, this movie, but many others. Thank you. 
there's another, that performance, we had to have another cat do that. Hi, cat. Lady of the house at home? Holly? Holly? <laughs> You're crazy. You know that, don't you? But I love you anyway. Tui. Yeah? I've got to talk to you. All right. You want a drink? Uh-uh. This is going to be a serious discussion. And suddenly, I'm terribly afraid it is. You're going to have to take off that ridiculous mask. Or else I'm going to have to wear one, too. Tui, look, please. What's the matter? Girl trouble? Is that it, darling? Oh, I see. Well, that's not so serious. As a matter of fact, I've been expecting it. I can't say I like it, but I've been expecting it. Who is she? Hasn't got anything to do with her. This is between you and me. Oh, then it is serious. Well, now. Louis, you're a very stylish girl. Can't we end this stylishly? End it? You know, seeing Pat Neal always when I look at this film and remember, she's a great lady. I do believe love has found Andy Hardy. Let's see. A waitress? A sales girl? No. She'd have to be someone rich, wouldn't she, Paul? Someone who could help you. Curiously enough, She's a girl who can't help anyone, not even herself. The thing is, I can help her. And it's a nice feeling for a change. All right. I understand. I'll tell you what, Paul. I am a very stylish girl. What are you doing? Writing a check. Don't look so bewildered. Surely you've noticed me writing checks before. Pay to the order of Paul Varjak, $1,000. Take her away somewhere for a week. You're entitled to this dialogue is really, I think, indicative of George Axelrod's ability to, you know, expand upon what was in the novella. I don't recall if the exact words are in the novella, but certainly the screenwriting here is in, you know, his first cabin, in my opinion. And unemployment insurance when you're... How shall I put it? Between engagements? Thanks for making it easier for me. Don't be ridiculous, darling. Take the check and call your girl. No thanks. I got a check of my own. 
and you get yourself a new writer to help, try and find one my size. That way, you won't have to even shorten the sleeves. sequence was shot in New York because we wanted to use the exterior of the public library, which is the senior scene right now. Oh, what oh. are you doing? Excuse me. Uh, sorry. You look just like a girl I know named Polly. Really? I'm sorry. Now we're back to the interior in California. Let's get out of here. I want to talk to you. Shh. What's the matter with you anyway? What's happened? Fred, would you please just leave me alone? Holly, I love you. Where are you going? To the ladies' room. What's the matter with you, anyway? Let me go. No. Fred, please let me go. Let's get something straight. I am not now, nor have I ever been Fred. Nor am I Benny Shacklett, whoever he may be. My name is Paul. Paul Varjak, and I love you. Let me go. Not till we get this settled. Now, what's all this jazz about South America? I thought if I'm going to marry a South American, I'd better find out something about the country. Marry? What South American? Jose. Who the hell's Jose? Jose de Silva Pereira. Who the hell's Jose de Silva Pereira? Darling, you met him. I know you did. Mag Wildwood's friend. The tall, good-looking one who came to the party with Rusty. Well, my dear, you won't believe this. But it turns out not only is he handsome and wildly rich, he's absolutely cuckoo for me. You're crazy. What, do you think you own me? That's exactly what I think. I know, I know. That's what everybody always thinks. But everybody happens to be wrong. Well, I am not everybody. Or am I? Is that what you really think? 
that I'm no different from all your other rats and super rats? Wait a minute. That's it. If that's what you really think, there's something I want to give you. What's that? $50 for the powder room. Obviously, this you know, scene is very, very important, in my view, to the two characters and what the film is basically about. And uh, once again, the, the vulnerability of the Holly Golightly character and how much you want and have to care about her and understand it. Uh, this sequence, once again, I think is unfortunate that while well, Yoshi's character should be in the scene, it comes with the wrong character playing it. Ollie. Good evening, Mr. Yunioshi. Oh, good evening, Paul. Good evening. Good evening. Please, you must help me. What Audrey is doing here, once again, in my view, is the whole spinal column to her character and what made it, you know, important that we have an actress that could be emotionally vulnerable and sensitive playing the part, not just a very sexy, attractive woman. There was a telegram and then this, crashing everything, conducting like crazy, it's appalling. I can't have a public scandal, it's too delicate. I name my position, my family, Will there be the police again, you think? I don't see why. There's no law against busting up your own apartment. Where is the telegram? There it is. Receive notice, young Fred killed. In Jeep accident, Fort Riley, Kansas. Your husband and children join in the sorrow of our mutual loss. Letter following, love, Doc. Brother Fred. Oh. His brother, was she very close to him? Yeah. 
what can one do? Try to help her. I tried, and it didn't do much good. You got a ranch or something down in Brazil, don't you? Yes. It's good, she'll like that. Well, you better get in there. Joga com uma bola. O Petis brinca com um boneco. O pai e o avô são dois homens. A mãe e a avó são duas mulheres. O avô e a avó são pessoas de idade. O pai e a mãe são gente nova. Os três filhos são ainda crianças. A senhora Magalhães é mulher do senhor Magalhães. O senhor Magalhães é marido da senhora. Senhora Magalhães, Jaime é irmão de Margarida e de si. Margarida é irmã... Hi! I suspect that's the same cat on the top of the buffalo that was on the top of the shelves, but I don't remember. It was one of the nine. I thought of looking in the phone book. Anyway, I'm glad you could come. You look fine. You think so? Oh, I'm fat as a pig and I haven't had my hair done in months. But I'm happy, really happy. Probably shows. You look très distingué yourself. Well, that's with Audrey Hepburn saying she's fat as a pig. She weighed about 80 pounds, wringing wet. One in that funny little magazine. Won't you sit down? Thank you. I've taken up knitting. So I see. Probably look uh, very nice once it's finished. Actually, I'm a little nervous about it. Jose brought up the blueprints for a new ranch house he's building. I have this strange feeling that maybe the blueprints and my knitting instructions got switched. I mean, it isn't impossible that I'm knitting a ranch house. Really, darling, I can't tell you how divinely happy I am. What is that, anyhow? Portuguese, a very complicated language. 4,000 irregular verbs. Eu acho que você está gostando do açougueiro. Hmm, very impressive. What's it mean? I believe you are in league with the butcher. Holly, what's this about? The uh, fact that uh, everybody watches Audrey Hepburn movies and sees the kind of clothes that she wears. Uh, she had made, you know, several films before she did Breakfast at Tiffany's, but, uh, you know, obviously the simple black dress that I've referred to in some of my comments earlier on was certainly featured in this film, but it's also in other films that she was in, Love in the Afternoon, and, uh, you know, she. but she was always identified with being 
fashionably proper and correct, and young women all over, you know, tried to mimic her uh, wardrobe. The, the interesting thing, of course, is that Audrey was not voluptuous, uh, had big feet, no bosom, and yet she was considered to be enormously sexy. I know we will. And in church and with his family there and everything, and that's why he's waiting till we get to Rio. People have asked me whether or not I thought, uh, did I think Audrey thought she was sexy? Uh, I don't know uh, the answer to that question when I've been asked, but uh, uh, certainly uh, as a female, she knew that, uh, you know, that men doted on her, so presumably some of that doting had to do with potential sex. But the answer is she was so, she was a totally humble uh, woman and not at all uh, with characteristics or attitudes that you associate with superstar actresses. Well, that would be fun, as long as it's someplace I can go like this. Now, the scene coming up, this scene right now, we shot the, set the first day of the movie after we had gone into Tiffany's to shoot the wide-angle shot, uh, we broke for lunch at about 10 o'clock in the morning and then moved across to Park Avenue where this scene was shot. And I don't remember, you know, this got to remember this was in 1960. I don't remember that scene where you saw the camera following uh, Audrey and George 360 degrees. I don't remember a director ever doing that. They do it all the time now, but again, this was 40 almost 45 years ago. But this was the first day that we shot this, and it obviously dealt with things that hadn't happened and weren't going to happen. I had a, my only real fight with Blake at the end of this scene because it was only 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the, when the scene was finished, and Blake said, well, that's a wrap. And I said, why? You know, we're, we've got sunlight and a lot of to do. And as a producer, I was trying to think, well, boy, we'll be ahead of schedule and everything else. And he stormed off, and we had a scene at the hotel later, and he said, look, if you've got a problem, you talk to me, you know, not in front of the whole crew. I know when an actor is overworked and has done enough, and uh, and we laughed about it later because uh, I was, you know, you know, what I knew at that point about being a good producer, you could put into a thimble. Maybe still don't know anything about it, but this, as I said, was the first scene we shot or the first day of the movie. Didn't want Jose to think I was the kind of girl who loses her key, so I have 26 of them made. No, wait, I got a better idea. Kind of a farewell gesture. And as I said earlier, that purse I saw it in, a, in stores all over America and girls carrying similar purses, I suspect knockoffs, but nonetheless, that purse. Oh, I still gotta clean up all that rice. Hey, you know. Kronberger, narcotic squad. What do you mean? You don't really know what's going on. Once again, I mean, this is a, supposed to be a, a, a funny but serious scene, and in 2020 hindsight, I think it was a mistake. I felt it was a mistake at the time to have Mickey Rooney as good an actor as he is playing Japanese. Certainly, you couldn't do it today and wouldn't do it today any more than you would have Charlie Bronson with a vaccination mark playing an Indian. What's your name? Barjack. Hold it down over there! Paul Barjack. B-A-R-J-A-K. Hey! Now get lost, will you? Get out! I don't want my 
I'm a writer. W-R-I-T-E-R. Well, I'll let me go. I'll just watch the Wait a minute. Now, darling, why don't you start? Is it true you carried messages from tomato and code? Of course not. I just meet Mr. O'Shaughnessy at Hamburger Heaven and give him the weather report. Simply do not ask me what this is all about. Pasca je ne sais pas, mes chers. But you did used to visit Tomato. I used to see him every week. What's wrong with that? Well, you must have known Tomato was part of the narcotics syndicate. Mr. Tomato never mentioned narcotics to me. Makes me furious the way all these wretched people keep persecuting him. He's a deeply sensitive person. A darling old man. Then you're innocent. Of course I'm innocent. What are you going to do about it? What do you mean? Well, who's your lawyer? I don't know. Mr. O'Shaughnessy, I guess. Mr. O'Shaughnessy! Fred, get out of here! All right, come on. Don't get any move. Come on. Mr. O'Shaughnessy? Oh, shut up. Get in there. Yeah. Mr. Paul Barjack? Yeah. Ready with Mr. Berman in Hollywood. Kindly deposit three dollars for the... The scene coming up uh, with Marty Balsam, of course, was shot in the studio, but you're going to see kind of an interesting thing that, again, 40-something years ago was kind of unusual. First of all, there is a telephone with a speaker, which I think was fairly unique at that point in time, and a bed that could go up and down by pressing a button. I'm a friend of Holly's. I, I met you at a party in New York. Who? Paul. Paul Varjak. V-A-R... Mr. Berman, this is Fred. Oh, Fred baby, huh? Well, you call me about the kid, huh? Everything's under control, eh? Just relax. Uh, I spoke to my lawyer in New York. Always makes me laugh, uh, Marty Balsam as an agent has a script on his chest when he falls asleep. And having been an agent part of my life, I know the best sleeping pill in the world is a bad screenplay. That's this executive phone I have. What? Executive phone. See, an executive phone. I mean, we thought we were really inventive when we had that. This morning, I'll tell you what you do. You bust into that dump she lives in, collect all the junk, get out of the jail, get her out, take her straight over to a hotel under a phony name, right? I'm going to keep away from the reporters as much as possible. You know what I mean? Will you do that? Sure, Mr. Berman. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Forget it. I owe her something. Not that I owe her anything. I mean, if you really want to get right down to it. But she's a crazy. She's a phony. But she's a real phony. Know what I mean, kid? Yeah, I know what you mean. Thanks, Mr. Furman. Thanks a lot. Right! Why don't you behave? Shoot. 
from here till the end of the film, it's really what the whole movie, in my view, is about. The dialogue is special, and the behavior of Audrey and George Peppard is really important, and also the cat. So I'm not going to say any more unless there, you know, some questions occur to me, but uh, uh, I think the last six, seven minutes of this film speak for itself. The driver, by the way, of the taxi was a stuntman on the movie. I got most of your stuff here, including Cap. Hope he's all right. Yeah. Hello, Cap. Poor no-name slob. Listen, darling, did you find that plane ticket? Right here. We can cash it in. Cash it in? Are you kidding? What time is it? A little after 10. Good. Idlewild Airport, please, driver. Never mind. You can't do that. Why not? You don't understand. You're under indictment. If they catch you jumping bail, they'll lock you up and throw away the key. Don't be ridiculous, darling. By the day after tomorrow, I'll be married to the future president of Brazil. And that'll give me diplomatic immunity or something. You wouldn't bet on it. What is it, darling? Message for you. Oh. Oh, yes, I see. Did he bring it in person, or was it... Just there, shoved under the door. A cousin. Hand me my purse, will you, darling? A girl can't read that sort of thing with, without her lipstick. You read it to me, will you, darling? I don't think I'm quite there. Sure you want me to? Mm-hmm. Okay. My dearest little girl. I have loved you knowing you were not as others, but conceive of my despair upon discovering in such a brutal and public style how very different you are from the manner of woman a man of my position could hope to make his wife. I grieve for the disgrace of your present circumstances, and I do not find it in my heart to add my condemn to the condemn that surrounds you. So I hope you will find it in your heart not to condemn me. I have my family to protect in my name, and I am a coward where these institutions enter. Forget me, beautiful child, and may God be with you. Jose. Well? Well, at least he's honest. It's kind of touching. Touching? Square ball jazz. He says he's a coward. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's just a scared little mouse, that's all. But oh, golly! Gee, Dan! Oh. So much for South America. I didn't really think you were cut out to be Queen of the Pampas anyway. Clayton Hotel. Idlewild. What? Plane leaves at 12, and on it I plan to be. Holly, you can't. Pourquoi pas? George Peppard's dialogue coming up now is, I guess, the reason that uh, he wanted to play the part. Of nowhere. It's only why should I waste a perfectly good plane ticket? Besides, I've never been to Brazil. Please, darling, don't sit there looking at me like that. I'm going, and that's all there's to it. Now, all they want from me 
on my services as a state's witness against Sally. Nobody has any intention of prosecuting me. To begin with, I don't have a ghost of a chance. Even so, this town's finished for me, at least for a while. There are certain shades of limelight that can wreck a girl's complexion. We'll have the rope up at every saloon in town. I'll tell you what you do for me, darling. When you get back to town, I want you to call up the New York Times or whoever you call. I want you to mail me a list of the 50 richest men in Brazil. The 50 richest! Holly, I'm not gonna let you do this. You're not gonna let me. Holly, I'm in love with you. So what? So what? So plenty. I love you. You belong to me. No. People don't belong to people. Of course they do. I'm not gonna let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. It's the same thing. No, it's not. Holly? I'm not Holly. I'm not Lula May either. I don't know who I am. I'm like Cat here. We're a couple of no-name slobs. We belong to nobody, and nobody belongs to us. We don't even belong to each other. Stop the cab. What do you think? This ought to be the right kind of place for a tough guy like you. Garbage cans, rats galore. Scram! Of course, this is the back lot at Paramount. I've heard audiences gasp when the cat gets shoved outside. Driver. Pull over here. You know what's wrong with you, Miss Whoever You Are? You're chicken. You've got no guts. You're afraid to stick out your chin and say, okay, life's a fact. People do fall in love. People do belong to each other. Because that's the only chance anybody's got for real happiness. You call yourself a free spirit, a wild thing. And you're terrified somebody's gonna stick you in a cage. Well, baby, you're already in that cage. You built it yourself. And it's not bounded in the west by Tulip, Texas, or on the east by Somaliland. It's wherever you go. Because no matter where you run, you just end up running into yourself. Here, I've been carrying this thing around for months. I don't want it anymore. Jack ring is important.
I cared a lot about it. And the funny part of it is having been mixed up in all kinds of different ways as a, in, in movies, I still get very moved when I watch it. I, I like the movie a lot. If we could just change Mickey Rooney, I'd be thrilled with the movie. Uh, thank you for watching Breakfast at Tiffany's. I hope you enjoyed it. This is Richard Shepard or Dick Shepard saying also thank you for putting up with me. Bye-bye.